series that focuses on big data and analytics and latest trends in the digital world. I'm your co-host, Jeremy Roberts, and with me always is Samir Khan. Hey, Samir. Hey, Jeremy. How's it going? Happy pre, pre-holiday? Wait, no. We're always in a holiday. <laughs> yeah. It's like post-Halloween, pre-Thanksgiving. Actually, so it's funny, and I think I've mentioned this in another episode before, is I was looking at the... What is the official time that you're allowed to play Christmas music? And I was talking to my kids. And I was asking my kids. I said, can you play Christmas music before Thanksgiving or is it officially allowed after Thanksgiving? And they said, well, it's kind of mixed in. But I think they said like on Friday morning, the day after Thanksgiving, after midnight, you can officially start playing Christmas music. Before we continue, Jeremy, I want to talk about a revolutionary energy product that I have recently started using. It's called Magic Mind, and my results have been remarkable, so I wanted to share with our listeners. Like many of you, there have been days where I just couldn't find the extra spark of creativity, where my productivity was not to the level that I really wanted, and that's where I discovered Magic Mind. And let me tell you, like it's been, it's been very good compared to the other energy drinks that I've consumed before. It's not your typical energy drink. Like I don't like those sugar-filled, jitter-inducing energy drinks. And I'm not a big fan of caffeine. I don't drink coffee. But Magic Mind has become my secret weapon because one of the things that it sets it apart is a unique blend of ingredient. It has a combination of nutrients, adaptogens, and nootropics that work together to support the brain performance and overall well-being. Now, I know you might be asking, like, how does it taste like? And I'm very particular about taste. What I really like about it, it's, it's it has a fruity goodness, which a very mild sweetness, which doesn't introduce that sugar jitter to you. And for our listeners, for a limited time, we have a special offer. So you can go to magicmind.com forward slash ATPOD, which is Analytics Today podcast short ATPOD. You can get an incredible 56% discount on your first subscription and you can have your own supply of magic mind delivered to you straight to the door to get that extra boost of energy whenever you need it now if you're not ready to take the subscription challenge then you can still get 24 percent off by purchasing using the same code atpod i can't recommend magic mind enough it's a game changer for me and i believe it will work for you as well so just go to magicmind.com forward slash atpod to use the discount code now over to you, Jeremy. Um, we have been all in on AI. We have all been we we've been walk, walk talking about what analytics and data for years. I, mean, I think we've, we've been doing this now seven years, and AI has been huge. So I think l- before we get into the thing, let's let's give everybody an understanding of the difference between machine learning and AI. If you want, I can start, or you can start. But let's do this. Let, let's give our audience an understanding. Of what is the difference between AI and machine learning, like art, real artificial intelligence versus machine learning? Yeah, I think a lot of people get uh, confused, right, in between yeah. those two uh, variances uh, of technology and progression. So I think it's important to have that um, delineation. So I don't know. If, I mean, I can start unless you, you well, want to. Well, let me give an example first, and then you can yeah. add on to that. Okay. So let's do that. Okay, so the first example is I remember you and I were both working at IBM at the time. And, uh, you know, we were crossing over there. And I remember that's when Watson was introduced, right? IBM's Watson. 
And IBM's Watson came into play and Watson was like an AI, but it was really more of like a machine learning tool that really brought together data and used AI types of sequences to be able to create notes. And my understanding at that time, and we can talk about how it's evolved, but at that time, machine learning basically is by saying, we are going to input a whole bunch of data. It's going to read this set of data. So if you give data sets one through 10,000, that machine learning will then take sets of one through 10,000. And in milliseconds, microseconds, it's going to look at similarities, bunches, groups, segmentations and stuff, and then output kind of what it feels is the best um, consolidation or the best understanding of what that consolidated data means. You concur with that or is like machine learning? Yeah, I think that's that's definitely, I agree with you, right? So in my perspective, machine learning is you're feeding a specific data and you're developing an algorithm so that the machines can parse through the data and learn from the data and improve the performance of the outcome that you're trying to achieve from that specific data set. Um, so that's exactly how machine learning works. And in some cases, uh, you are training the algorithm. So you have heard the term test and train, and you're trying to make predictions off of that specific data. But the end goal is you're only trying to achieve that specific outcome from that entire data set in machine right. learning. Yeah, and like the best example that I remember talking about was uh, IBM Netflix. bought the Weather Channel. Yeah, remember, the, remember IBM, but they bought the Weather Channel, right? From the yeah. IBM to continue on that one. Uh, they bought the Weather Channel and they were working with pharmaceutical companies to identify how many diff, uh, how many batches or what is the volume of flu medicines that they should create for the upcoming season. And, you know, based on historical data, based on weather patterns, how quickly the cold is coming in for certain parts of the year, um, number of flu cases throughout the year and so on, they were then able to use machine learning <clears throat> to predict exactly how many flu shots they should be created that year. That's the example I have. Yeah, no, that's a great example. And similarly, along the lines of that, right, IBM is trying to accomplish one specific outcome from that is to help the medical companies decide on how many flu vaccines they're going to need. Same thing on Netflix, like Netflix is feeding that information on people watching specific mm -hmm. shows and movies. And the next best recommendation on what you should watch comes from that intelligence of machine learning. Um, and that's and how a lot um, of people get. Yeah. And that, well, that's how they came up with movies. And you think, wow, this exactly. Adam Sandler movie is really strange. Or how do they come up with this strange movie? So they, what they do is they run a scan and they say, who are the top five most watched actors? And those top five most watched actors and actresses in what roles as the lead or the, you know, the um, the supportive cast or whatever, or the comedian or the serious or whatever. Then they take the genre. Then they take the time period. Then they take whether it's a comedy or they take it's like a, what's it called? Um, you know, like a love story or, or action. And then they just have these systems create this magical screenplay story and then they make a movie out of it. And you're like, how did they come up with this movie? But that's how they do it. That's it's how just data. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about the AI then. Uh, yeah. You want me to go or you? Yeah, you go, go first. You, you okay. go first. Yeah. Well, so in my perspective, AI, uh, there are similarities, but there are also differences. 
right? So AI is much more broader. Like we said, machine learning was focused mm -hmm. on specific outcomes that we're trying to achieve from the data by test and learn and training. Uh, in case of AI, it's a more broader area where you're still using computers and systems uh, to perform specific tasks, but those tasks, and the reason why we say artificial intelligence is because those tasks are replicating or mimicking human intelligence. And for example, like solving problems, uh, providing logical and irrational and rational reasoning, understanding the natural languages and making decisions based off of the natural languages. You know, everybody knows ChatGPT mm -hmm. because it's using the natural language to answer a question and looking at broad set of data. And the way uh, they're trying to mimic the human intelligence is they're using uh, certain rules on the programming side. So the systems are going to be using the programming rules that are being defined for them. And mm -hmm. then they're going to be able to make the decision. Um, and sometimes based it's going on the like, parameters of those rules. Based on the parameters, the yeah, rules, and the exactly. logic, they can make the decision. Whereas ML is only making that specific response on that training model or data that you have provided. AI is more broader, is mimicking the human intelligence. Exactly. And I'll give you a funny example. Um, a friend of ours named David, uh, he had a birthday back in October, uh, early October. And I've always been very competitive with him in sports. And so I went to ChatGPT and there's settings that you can put in ChatGPT to say, here's who I am, here's the situation, and here's the person that I want you to write something for. And you put down a description and you kind of teach it what to think. It's like, do you have everything you need to understand who I am and who this person is and our relationship? And this is yes. And then it says, I want you to write a poem to this person for his birthday at a, as this age, right? He's this age for his birthday, but congratulate him on being a terrible athlete, right? <laughs> and so it, it did the whole poem. And I was like, this is so funny. It was the funniest thing I've ever read. Oh, but really? it, was, it was really good. And I was like, man, this is awesome. Um, so one of the, and we'll get to the, the today's topic, but um, I read here, it says AI solves tasks that require human intelligence while machine learning is a subset of artificial intelligence that solves specific tasks by learning from data and making predictions. Mm -hmm. That's a textbook definition. Yep. Textbook that's definition. That's okay. It's still difficult to understand. A lot of people won't fully understand it, but you know what? It's a, it's an evolving process. Don't worry. Skynet is not coming yet. Maybe mm -hmm. it's kind of cool, right? Okay. So today's topic, we've got a cool one. It's called, 10 game-changing insights from running global data and AI automation projects. So we're going to go through all 10 and let's just go straight into it. Start with number one. So the first one that Samir talks about here and, and, you know, Samir actually, actually, you know what, you want to go for the first few and then I'll comment first if you want to. Yeah, no problem. Well, I want to provide a little bit more context. So sure. we have worked across many different organizations. We have ran many different global projects in a large scale, uh, you know, uh, hundreds of people involved in many different geos and working through different time zones. And what mm -hmm. we have learned is we have distilled down into 10 insights that we feel is going to be very beneficial to our listeners and they can leverage these insights so they don't make, uh, well, they don't uh, face the same type of challenges that we experience and we're learning from our challenges and we're deriving outcome from it. So that's the reason why we're focusing on these 10 different insights. Uh, so the first insight, as Jeremy was alluding to, is uh, what we call is don't commit to set-in-stone delivery timeline. 
And I want to talk a little bit more about that. This, yeah. is, uh, this is a favorite one for a lot of is people. This hurt, does running. this hurt you inside? It, seem, <laughs> it, seems like, it seems like you've been hurt before, Samir. You know? oh, yeah, Somebody's course, hurt you well, with this. <laughs> both of us, right? Yeah, I think when, when you're responsible, when the organization uh, is giving you the responsibility of running large global projects, uh, and obviously as a accountability party that you want to provide a timeline, right? You want to work yeah. with your organization, both technical and business and come up with nice roadmaps and have specific delivery and timelines. So you get like, Hey, I, I'm going to be accountable for this set in stone delivery timeline. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that you should not have a timeline at all, right? There, there's not, it's not possible if you're working for a corporate organization you have to have a timeline to deliver the project. You have to have a budget to deliver the project. But what I'm saying is you're going to shoot yourself in the foot, especially if you're running large-scale projects that span across multiple geos and countries by putting together a strong deadlines for your delivery of that project. Do not yeah. do that. Okay, so when we talk about a strong deadline, okay, let, let me let me clarify here. What we're trying to say is, let's say you're starting to launch something and you have a retail market, right? Um, let's say you have a retail season, you're trying to uh, input this new type of AI that's going to help you with your new retail, um, you, you know, your retail and holiday, uh, whatever season coming up. If you put in a strong deadline, let, let, let's come up with a, a timeline. Let's say what, like Labor Day? Right? Okay. Yeah. So don't sure. commit to... Yeah. Okay. If you say we're going to have it done by Labor Day and it is you wait until uh, next Friday, actually. Yeah. Right. Actually, no. Wait, Labor Day? Uh, are you yeah. talking about um, are you talking about Black Friday? Oh, OK. okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Black Friday. Yeah, yeah. No, but let's say let's say it's uh, you want to start on Labor Day and you want to get it out. So it's ready to go for Black Friday. Right. And so you say, oh, we're going to wait for the summer to come back and all of our resources to come back and everything. And we're going to start right after Labor Day when everybody has kind of cleared their plate and everything. So now you have September and October, and then part of November to actually do all your stuff. That's not enough time. That's <laughs> not enough time. It's not enough time. Because what you're then doing is you're creating something actually called technical debt. So if anybody doesn't know what technical debt is, Technical debt is a term in IT to where what you're doing is you're, you're fast forwarding projects, you're cutting corners, and you're reducing your process on quality control. Uh, you're not following agile methodologies, right? For, uh, or whether you do waterfall or whatever you do to be able to output a product on time. And then all of a sudden you're cutting corners. The cost of you having to go back and fix it because you're pushing out a inferior product, right? Then becomes technical debt. So the cost of you having to go back and fix all the things that you failed to do and that you did wrong, it becomes even more expensive. Yeah, and then you have it, to ask for more money. <laughs> I call it tech, tech dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, so don't commit to a set in stone delivery timeline. Give yourself a... Uh, how about this? Let's let's compromise by saying give ourselves a time frame, right? Like a time frame. And that time frame can be, you know, output on testing. If you run a phased approach or whatever approach you do, that testing timeline, soft launch, testing, fixing, 
and then hard launch, right? Don't exactly. be crazy. Don't be too aggressive. And don't say, no, this is the only way to win. The only way to really, you know, to dominate my position as a leader in this business is to always come in aggressive and set delivery timelines. You're, you're going to yeah, be wrong. And it's Sorry. interesting you say that because that from my personal experience to one of the past organizations where I worked at, uh, they, for one or the other reason, uh, they didn't comprehend what it takes to develop a global roadmap. And they yes. basically expected the global roadmap detail level to be delivered like in 90 days. And it, and so it was very fascinating <clears throat> and it was amazing that uh, how, uh, how the comprehension of uh, what's required to develop this roadmap and work across technology teams, work across business requirements and product teams, uh, all of that can be done in such a short time. Uh, so that's just one example on how sometimes sure. uh, people can lose track and sight of what exactly means to have the right timeline, like I, you articulated very well. Very cool. So let's jump to number two. So the first one was don't commit to a set in stone delivery timeline. The second one is to watch out for project scope creep. This is fantastic. <laughs> this hap This has been happening, I think, my entire career. And as we know, to redefine what scope creep is, is basically saying you've created a scope of what you want the project to be, what you want it to do, what you want it to solve, and so on, and how it aligns to your company goals. And as you start to do your iterative testing or your build out, your agile, whatever, you start to add on features, you start to add on functions, and then they were another... not a part of the original project, right? No. And then uh, another team leader or division leader hears about your product and project and says, oh, man, that's fantastic. You guys, you know, it shouldn't take you that much more. Could you implement this into my team's system and do an integration here? It's like, no, I'm sorry. We can do that as a phase two. So, uh, OK, exactly. so we so we've described what happened. I've been in this situation. You've been. What is your recommendation? Let's say you're in charge of the project. And somebody's trying to come in and creep your scope. What do you do? I believe at that point of time, you should have the courage to speak out and say no. That is the very professionally, though, that, hey, this project, this is what the original scope of the project is. This is what the budget that we have set aside. We appreciate that you're bringing this additional uh, layer to the project that can be added, mm -hmm. but like you very well articulated, that could be phase two, or you call it version three or version four or what have mm -hmm. you, and then very respectfully decline the request. Obviously, now in some cases, it may come from very senior leader in the company, uh, so you have to be able to accommodate that. Uh, so I'm not going to say that you know, you're going to say decline to your CMO or CEO uh, if the request is coming from that level and it's deemed as very important. So you should definitely well, I, know, I know how to fix that too. I know how to, I, I, that's happened before. If yeah. a senior leader comes in and says, I really want this too. This is something I want. I sell them on the idea that let me go ahead and finish my project first. From this project that I'm building, I will be able to do all the testing and uh, out, uh, output and I'll be able to do the implementation of the team, be able to measure usage and give you a baseline. So that way, when we finally do get to your team, shortly after that, we won't have to go through all this mess before. You'll have everything figured out. So it'll be much easier and less stress. And they say, oh, 
yeah, I don't really want a lot of stress and I don't want to have to disrupt the team in their daily processes. That would be so much better. Okay, good. Th- thanks for thanks for playing. You know. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And and in some time in yeah. a very large organization, like you have uh, very senior people that you couldn't say no. And and I recognize that. And you know, when you're working on projects and there are multiple stakeholders involved in different regions. Uh, my thought is, uh, I, I I agree with your point, like trying to figure out a ways that you can position the existing project to meet their needs, which should be the first thing you do. But if your yeah. existing project is not going to meet the need, then you will have to make a very clear case of additional budget that's going to require to deliver yes. that AI automation. And budget is uh, not always money. Project. Yeah. And right. Budget is not always money. Budget no. is and a few time. different things. And it's time. it's exactly. time. Budget, there's actual money. Oh, they give us a thumbs up. Yay. That's cool. <laughs> oh, there's like uh that is so cool. I didn't think there are face gestures on this on, on this tool now. The Very AI cool. is working its yeah. job. <laughs> um so it's not just money, it's not just time, but it's also resources. So basically you're pulling people away from these resources to get them to work on stuff. And if they were only dedicated to work on, let's say, this project uh, to launch up until Black Friday, and then you say, no, 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 you're going to have to continue working on this from Black Friday all the way until January, and now they have to delay other projects this team was supposed to work on, that's a lot. That's a lot to take on, you know? Yeah. And leadership has to, and you want to get this in writing. You want to get this through an email. Um, You want to make sure that your leader and that leader have communicated and you have totally CYA, which means cover your butt, right? Mm-hmm. Make sure you cover yourself to make sure that you're not fully responsible if something goes wrong. It's almost Agreed. about that. Yeah, cool. <laughs> okay, you want to do number three? Yeah, so number three is also very interesting. So we talked about first, like do not commit to a set in stone delivery timeline. Then we said, watch out for project scope creep. The number three is be very skeptical of the integration between new vendor and existing system. And we always talk about this. The vendor is going to come and they're going to say, we have seamless integration with your <laughs> with your existing system. The it's word plug seamless, and play. It's a it's, simple yeah, API plug and play, boilerplate. Yeah. Like you're going to hear all these types <laughs> kinds of words. And that's going to make you very excited. Yeah. Nine out of 10 times, you will have to do some type of customization. Uh, yes. to make the existing uh, solution that you have in your organization, especially, again, you're working on a global organization and trying to fit with the vendor system. Uh, a lot of people go, oh, I'm just going to use Zapier and I'm going to connect this through the API. Yeah. And point. Yeah. Like, uh, in some cases, you may have a direct connect with a Zapier or a make.com, but in majority of the cases, if you have legacy uh, systems that are homegrown applications and you're trying to connect with the, all these SaaS applications that are out there, you know, it doesn't matter if it's SAP mm-hmm. or Salesforce or Adobe, you're going to experience challenges during the integration. So you have to be ready for it uh, and don't accept from the face value that you can you know, just point and click and everything is going to work magically. No, and, 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 I'll, and I'll briefly bring up two things with that. So the first one is they could be selling you vaporware, so you have to check on that, but that that's a <laughs> sideline <laughs> So one is you have to understand how to show, ask for use cases, ask for use use cases on, on tools that are, that are pre-integrated with your current systems. So do, obviously you should have a list of all your existing technologies, 
what families they live in, whether you have even an open garden environment of all your technologies, whether you use a DMP for everything to be able to talk and connect to each other, right? But with all that, you got to make sure that you understand what you have first and ask them for use cases to prove that what they have has connected with tools like yours with other customers. And then maybe even get uh, a, a meeting set up where they set up a third-party meeting with that other customer for you to be able to go back and forth and say, hey, let me ask you about the integration. How did it work? Really put the nail to them because they're going to freak out if you do that, right? And that's, then just make sure. Yeah. yeah. And then the next one about the integration is you got to understand that marketing's job is to not have to do IT's work, but IT's job is not to have to babysit marketing. And so it's one of those things to where IT needs to be in that conversation with you as the marketer when you're getting all these commitments about the API and the integrations and everything. IT needs to give you the thumbs up. Mm -hmm. IT needs to sign off on it. And if they're not, you are now a few months behind. So yeah, that's 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 fantastic. I think it's very sure. important that um, first off, being able to have uh, if you're responsible for running global projects, you need to have a dotted line organization yes. to IT that you're leading yourself. Um, that makes a huge impact. Um, so if you have a direct, if we don't have IT directly reporting yeah. into you, you have yeah. at least a dotted line reporting into you, so then you or can an IT led. IT-led uh, business fusion team is what I call it too. Yeah. Or even creating awesome. a center of excellence for product integration. So, Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So let's move on to uh, the number four. Uh, this is very important. And I think this, we talked about IT a lot, but then we're going to flip it. And now we're going to talk about the business. The number four is business must commit resources to align on expectations. And this is a big one, right? We always talk about the technology, the work that IT needs to do, the work that product team needs to do to roll out and all of the good stuff, the vendors, the SaaS application. But if the business is not going to allocate resources to help with the projects. Time, money, and people, hurt. right? Was that? Time, money, and people. Time, money. Yeah, exactly. Time, money, and people. And if they're not going to be able to commit the right resources to the project, it's going to be a, a, a run to zero because you're eventually going to be answerable to the business. You're delivering, remember, you're delivering the capability to help the business get better at what they're doing. And mm -hmm. if you don't get commitment from the business, there's going to be a mismatch in expectation. So you're going to deliver something that the business is going to say, oh, I did not ask for this. And then yeah. you're going to be like, well, you did not commit the resources for us to align on the expectations. So you're going to have a huge problem at the end of the day and mismatch of expectations. And there have been uh, occasions where we have had to go and do a larger reconciliation and a mm -hmm. lot of technical debt to deal with this type of situation. I, I, I have nothing to add to that. That's exactly what I would say. Yeah. Awesome. Why don't, don't we go with the next one then? Yeah. Don't mess up on number four. Okay. Garbage yeah. in is garbage out. Okay. So all we know, uh, and I was saying what we talked about before was the, the aspects of machine learning and AI are built on data. If you create um, some type of auto, uh, automation system or you're running a global data project, or you're trying to build out some AI automation, you have to feed it data to know really what's happening, right? To what the, the, the scenario is, what it should be doing, what the output should be. 
um, you know, what its processes, what to look out for, for issues, you know, how to pivot and everything, right? If you give it bad data, then it'll output bad data. And so one of the things is you have to go in and I hate to say it, but you have to spend the time cleaning your data, data cleansing, right? Hire, either hire somebody from the outside to come in and do it. Or, data cleaning engineer, like data yeah. management engineer, like those, all of those positions are very critical. It's an extremely boring job, but these are the people. They they may be sometimes a little bit socially awkward because it takes it takes a very special skill set, like very OCD person to come in and do this. And they are brilliant. These people are absolutely brilliant in what they do. So hire those. Yeah, people. Or, or you can use ChatGPT four and give it the specific parameters on how you want to yes. clean your data and you should be able to you should be able to get a much cleaner data with chat gpt4 before you actually hand over to uh, a yes. data cleaning type of engineer so at least partial of the job is done uh before they they work on the more advanced level cleaning that you, you cannot do with chat gpt yet yeah it's like when i have to wash the dishes before i put in the dishwasher you know exactly. what I mean? <laughs> right. I'm dumb, but you have to do yeah. that. Otherwise, yeah. they're not going to clean. <laughs> exactly. Right. I'm sure everybody's laughing now. They're like, oh, my God, these guys. Okay. No, that's great. No. Yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. with the garbage and garbage out, we talked a lot about the, even with more modern AI platforms that are being mm -hmm. developed, like open API, open AI API plugins, you can perform certain tasks and automation. But if you're not going to provide the right type of prompts, to these systems and with the right parameters as we talked mm -hmm. about with the right rules of engagement then you're going to not able to get that finished product that you're expecting even from ai yeah. um, ai is not magic it depends on no. what inputs you're going to provide so if you're going to provide a bad input then you're going to get a bad response you're not going to get a finished response that you're looking for. be very specific on what you ask it to do and be overly specific on the parameters and the details in the background and all the other stuff. Okay. So this next one's pretty interesting. I, Samir and I might have different answers or approaches to this one, but Samir, you go first on this one. This is an interesting one. Yeah. The next one is number six, which is change management will make or break your project. So this okay. goes uh, in alignment with what we talked about earlier, right? So if you don't have the right business resource, then you're going to produce a product that you're going to deliver to the business. And the users who are in this business, let's say if you are, and I'm just going to make a simple example, right? So let's say if you're developing a sales automation platform, mm -hmm. and then you have uh, very little commitment from the actual sales organization to support the project when it's happening. And when you deliver the sales automation project, the sales team's going to flip like, hey, I, this is not helping me get my job done. I have, I already have my CRM. I already have my the emails and everything. And then now you're introducing the sales automation platform that's going to allow me to automate my workflow. Um, the sales team um, works say, this is not in line to what I work. I want to use Salesforce and I want to use my emails, but your mm -hmm. system is a completely different platform. And I have to go learn this. I have to log into this. It's not going to work for us. If for it, for us to make it work, these are the five things that I need. So there you go. That now you're going to have a very difficult task. You've already delivered your project. The change management is not there. Majority of the organization is not supporting the adoption of the platform. The platform is going to die or you'll have to redo the whole project again. So we talk about time, people, and money. Let me go into that and it'll be a 30-second explanation. It's the idea that 
people have feelings. <laughs> you have to understand that you have people who are scared of new technologies. Obviously, when you're working with certain members of IT, they love the challenge, right? They love that. But then you're putting them in a situation where you're trying to implement something that may not be fully baked yet. It may not work. It may not actually even produce change or efficiency. You know what I mean? So what you have to do is change management. It's not always about getting the right answer. Is you have to have a team that's willing to be able to spend the time and the effort to be able to put in the work to create change, knowing that it's not going to come out perfect. Mm-hmm. And so they have they, they have to be ready for that. And so what you have to do is nurture those employees even more. You have to really nurture them to make sure that they're ready for this change. And it's your job. If you're the leader, it's all on you. I hate to say it's not anybody else. It's you. It's your fault. It's your responsibility, but also your success. So don't mess up. Yeah. (laughs) Great. Great. Why don't you go for the next one then? Okay. Inadequate testing can lead to operational issues. Awesome. So what I always say is whether it's quality assurance, quality control, you're building out testing parameters, you're constantly using an iterative testing model, you're using agile methodology to push out, um, you know, changes, continual testing can make sure that you don't lead to operational issues. What you don't want to do is build, wait, get expectations that things are done and you did not properly test it. Because what you have to do is you have to stress test. You really have to stress test your products and your tools. Um, Some of the things is it could max out based on, let's say, you uh, pulled it from a database. It's running off of a set of servers that you have, and these servers don't scale. And now all of a sudden, it maxes out at 10,000 users, and you just had a dump of 100,000 users come in, and it did a server 500 call. Yay, good job, right? Something bad's going to happen. So the thing is test. But also, don't just test for test sake. Keep track. This is where you get somebody who's PMP. This is where you get mm-hmm. somebody who's a project management or an agile, you know, trained Auditor person, or auditor QA or something. Person. Yeah, exactly. Get them to, these are the people who are really good at this stuff. Me, that it's so hardcore. Like, I, I don't know if I have the skill set to do that, you know, but hire somebody who's really good at that. They write everything down and they make sure they can go back and say, look, Remember version 3.86? Yeah, we tested this here and this happened. Let's go revert back and look and see what we did here to stress test it here. Find those people. Those are going to be your best friends. They are going to be, and if you're in charge of this, they're going to be your right-hand person. They're going to be there at every single project, making sure because when leadership asks you for something and you need to cover yourself, they're going to have all the paperwork. They're going to make sure everything is accounted for. Love it. Great. Awesome. Fantastic. Uh, okay. So that's great. So number eight. Yes. Don't rely on limited set of stakeholders, right? So this is going back to, uh, I, I stress a lot on the business side of things, even though technology and technical people are important, but mm-hmm. the business is what's going to be crucial for your large yes. scale project. So this also talks about, let's take an example. You have been assigned three different stakeholders from the business side in in your, you know, going back to my sales automation example. So you have a, you have a sales uh, person from Americas, you have a salesperson from Europe, and then you have salesperson from Asia, right? So those are your three resources that have been assigned and you work with them really hard. um, And 
your team, your organization takes the input from them. They're acting as a subject matter expert in that area. They're providing you input. For one reason or the other, halfway through the project, the person from Europe leaves. Either they leave the job or that they'll go into a different role or they left the company. And all that knowledge share that was built with them and the job that they were doing in syndicating the knowledge to their team, the respective sales teams in Europe, gone. now you're going to lose that. It's gone, right? So now you're going to start fresh. Yep. Because what you did is originally you did not ask the business to commit more resources. So instead of one person from Europe, you could have a backup that is working with that person. So you can have two people from Europe. Even if one leaves, the other one still holds the fort until the new person joins and backfills the original person's position. You're not going to lose the knowledge. So that is something you have to keep in mind is yes. make sure that you have multiple stakeholders from different regions. Uh, if for whatever reason, one person is not available uh, or sick or left, then you have, you're not starting from scratch. You're not starting from uh, ground zero. So that's that's a crucial part of uh, relying on multiple stakeholders from regions instead of one stakeholder. I love that. I, I have nothing to add to that. It's, and the only thing I'll say is the next one, number nine, is it can relate back to number eight. So number eight, Samir talked about don't rely on limited stakeholders. Number nine says keep an eye on unexpected expenses. That's an unexpected expense, right? Somebody right. leaves yeah. and you have to delay the project. Um, let's say you were trying to get this done before Black Friday and through testing. Well, that you have to bring in more people, more resources to work double time, triple time to get it done. Unexpected uh, expenses could be new hires. It could be training, training. That's a, a I didn't bring that up before training. Sometimes you got to go through and if you're if you're implementing a new AI you may have to work with that company to do training. You have to get professional services and have them come in, sit at your office with your IT department and go through everything. And they are doing hands-on training. These are people that sit in your office, like it would be like going with like a, a Deloitte or an Accenture. They're there from Monday through Friday, right? 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. And they're sitting there like as if they're an employee, but you're paying for that service. And these people are expensive. These people are really expensive. Really expensive. But really expensive. So that's one type of unexpected expenses. You know, um, training, uh, if, if something changes with your staffing, all those different things. I, I guess, Samir, what other expenses do you? Yeah, no, I think those are very well articulated. My my only point is the unexpected expense could be you did not take into consideration certain requirements. Like, for yes. example, you know, one of the, uh, one of the projects uh, that reminded me, uh, again, large-scale project automation, uh, where we were trying to connect a new SaaS solution to our existing platform. Mm -hmm. And with during that connection, we understood that the complexity that involves in the API integration because the vendor's API was not uh, very well developed to mm -hmm. connect to our internal systems. Uh, and what that led to is more customization. Yeah. And that increased the project budget quite significantly because we did not take into consideration, uh, or we didn't knew this. And this was a fair, like we didn't, we had no understanding. You, know, you don't know what you don't know. Vaporware? They're selling you vaporware. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what you don't or, know is what you don't know. So yeah. we came across that situation. And then when we realized it, by the time we were already into the project, so we have to spend yeah. more money to develop the customization so these API work for our internal systems. Makes sense. Okay, last one, right? 
uh, performance bottlenecks will reduce scalability. Yeah, well, I mean, it sounds like a it sounds like a common sense one, but you know, so performance bottleneck, and I think that came down to I think we call it load testing, right? One of the performance bottlenecks could be load testing. Um, load testing could be the number of users. It could be the type of output. Um, I'll, I'll give you a basic example, and then we'll come back to Samir. A basic example from your daily output, right? This is something you've done for the last 15 years in your career before AI even came around was email. People did not performance test um, their emails and what they found were their performance bottlenecks and it didn't scale. And that was because that email did not show up on every type of email service provider. They didn't use the HTML. They didn't use the text version. It rendered differently on weird things. Um, they didn't use like a litmus to be able to check their email, whether it was compatible with all different types of email service providers. Or if you created a web page that remember back in the day, it had to open on Chrome, on Firefox, on Safari, and Internet Explorer, and old school Internet Explorer. You had to make sure that those old technologies were not a bottleneck. And that didn't, because then you say, look, there's a certain target audience that still uses these technologies and it's not going to scale. They're not going to even see it. So that's that's my example, old school example. So what, what's your kind of new Love it. Yeah, example? no, that's great. I think my example is similar on the AI front, right? Especially if you're developing uh, AI models using uh, ChatGPT and OpenAI. Open and initially during the the testing, as we mentioned, like in, you know, inadequate testing can lead to disasters. So in this yeah. case, as you're trying to uh, leverage that with limited set of data and then automatically now you're going to expose it to gigabytes of data, yes. you're going to experience a performance bottleneck. You're not going to be able to get those responses that you're originally trying to get. Your API calls mm -hmm. are going to be extremely uh, cumbersome and it's going to take a lot of time for the data to be transferred. So those are the types of things that from an AI automation standpoint that we have experienced and you should avoid. And the way to avoid that is to make sure you're uh, your infrastructure is uh, redundant. You have load balancers in place. Uh, you have done all of your due diligence on large-scale environments and not just small-scale environments. So that's, that's going to help a lot with your shape. Let me quickly say, so we got one was don't commit to a set of delivery timelines. Two was watch out for scope creep. Three was be skeptical of integrations with your new stuff or the old stuff, your existing stuff. Four was don't commit resources. Business resources, they have to align with the expectations. Five is garbage in, garbage out. Six was change management will break your project. Seven was inadequate testing is going to lead to issues. Eight was limited stakeholders. Nine was unexpected expenses. And 10 was performance bottlenecks. These are not the full extended list. We could probably go on for another two hours on this. But here are really key things. If you do these well, and we're not asking for much, this is a baseline, a foundation for you to do well. If you do these 10 things well, you will then be able to do great implementation. Yeah, that's fantastic. And that's, yeah. that's all we got for today. I hope this list is yeah. uh, fairly comprehensive for you to start doing some initial due diligence on how you run large projects. And I truly believe that this is going to change the game of your project management and uh, working with AI or automation or any kind of data yes. analytics project. Love it. This is great. And always, like I said, we're going to have uh, some more special guests come on.
Um, and Samir and I will be pushing a lot more content this year. So we're really excited and uh, reach out to us, engage with us and check us out. And we'll see you guys next time. Thanks. See ya. Bye.